Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of January 17th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. Open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 6. It has been almost two months since we found ourselves in the book of Acts. We have gone through Thanksgiving. We've had Advent and Christmas. We've done a couple of different things to open up the year. But now we are returning to our look at this book that we started back in the spring of last year. Where we left off was the first few verses of Acts chapter 6. The last thing we talked about in November were the, uh, the anointing and the setting aside of these seven men who helped to heal the potential division in the church that God used as servants for His people in the early church in Jerusalem. This morning, we're going to turn our attention to one of those seven men by the name of Stephen. So if you will join with me, we're going to begin reading in verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away, and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place in the law. For we've heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. You know, that phrase, to have the face or maybe some have used the voice of an angel, is most commonly used in referencing someone who is beautiful, one who possesses beauty, but maybe not even just simple beauty. It is a, an innocent beauty, if you will. Some men have described women they love with the face of an angel. They are describing not that she is beautiful, but that she has an incredible, innocent, innate beauty about her. Sometimes it's used of a child, and again, it emphasizes the innocent beauty of the nature of that child. They're not just cute, but there's something about them that has no evil or wrong in it. It's probably not a phrase, guys, that's applied to us too often. Let's be honest. And, and no offense, guys, but I probably wouldn't be using this phrase as we understand it for most of you, and neither would I expect you to use it of me, just, just so we're clear. Yet... As we come to this passage this morning, Stephen is described by God in exactly this way, as one who was seen to have the face of an angel. Now again, it's been a couple months since we've been in Acts, and I want to remind you of what's been taking place the previous several chapters as we get into this. Over the last several chapters, and over the last few weeks or months, the Christian church has existed after the resurrection of Christ, His ascension, and the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, the the following things have happened. The Spirit came on Pentecost Sunday. 
The people of Jerusalem heard the commotion and thought these guys were drunk or at the very least out of their minds, and yet Peter preached a profound sermon that saw thousands come to faith. The result was that they were brought before the council and reprimanded. They were brought before the Jewish authorities, dragged before them, as Stephen will be here in our passage this morning. They were accused of things and told to be quiet, and yet the church grew. Following that, Peter and and John, as they were on their way to worship and teach the scriptures at the temple, encountered the man who was born lame. They healed him through the power of Christ. And the commotion that followed, the church grew. Following that, they were once again arrested. They were giving a good tongue lashing and told to be quiet. And the church grew. Following that, Ananias and Sapphira created a scandal within the church. There was worry and there was fear, and yet the church grew. They were arrested. Leadership of the church again was arrested, and the church grew. And in Acts chapter 6, there was now a burgeoning, growing conflict within the church that was based upon cultural and racial lines, and yet we find out in Acts chapter 6, the church grew. The short of that portion of the story is to this point. There is no circumstance, and we talked about this last week, there is no circumstance that the gospel of Christ, the word of God, does not come across in which it cannot grow. The gospel of the Lord, the plans of God, the purposes of our, of our master will not be, in fact, cannot be defeated by the actions, by the intentions, by the plots, the ploys, the conspiracies of this world. It simply will not take place. Now, I know over the last year it has been tempting for us, and even as we look out this morning and watch online, we realize that there are fewer people in this room than there were a year ago, mainly because of something called COVID. And we might be tempted to think that the work of God, that the purposes of Christ have somehow been delayed or defeated or at the very least hindered by these things. And I'm here to tell you that's not the case. That the numbers in a room do not tell the entire story. For the Lord has understood, has predicted, has known everything that you and I are going to encounter in the future and everything we were going to encounter last year. And His plans are not defeated. And neither shall we, His people, accept any semblance of defeat. God's plans are not defeated by these things. In every circumstance the early church encountered, the gospel continued to grow. Acts chapter 6, we see that there in verse 7. The number of disciples continued to increase greatly. Even the priests were getting saved. You see the pattern. It can be our nature sometimes, even as believers, but at the very least as human beings, to when faced with challenges, difficulties, obstacles, even pain, to withdraw, to pull back, to perhaps hunker down. But there is no time when it becomes more important than these times, than the times of obstacles and hurdles, to do the exact opposite, to join with a group of people. You need the church these days not just for the encouragement that comes from a few minutes of worshiping as we just did, not just to pray with someone, but for the strength of being part of a people who will not be cowed by the obstacles and the hurdles of Satan. To keep you focused upon what is the purpose of God and His plan 
for you and for eternity. We want to be, as First Baptist London, a church so built that no matter the circumstance, it grows. That's part of a kingdom that grows. We want to be followers of Christ that when faced with a cross, we count it joy to be able to be part of the sacrifice and suffering that furthers the kingdom of God. We want to be a people undaunted by what frightens and panics the people of this world. This does not mean, by the way, that everything will always be pleasant or comfortable or even sometimes enjoyable. It does mean that we are a people of supreme faith and confidence in God who live in light of the resurrection and not death as the final word. These are all things true of Stephen who had the face of an angel. And let me suggest this morning that Stephen's face of an angel was not simply childlike, innocent beauty. It was the face of a man who was fearless, loving, gracious, confident, sure in the presence and the work of God, of being light in the darkness. Look at the description of Stephen, especially beginning in verse 8 of chapter 6. It says that he was a man full of grace and power performing great wonders and signs among the people. What does it mean to be an individual full of grace? Well, what is grace? Let me see. There's, there's been all kinds of acronyms. Uh, some people have used the God's riches at Christ's expense. But often the word grace in the Scripture simply means this, God's favor. It's not deserved favor. It's not earned favor. It is God's gracious favor. His decision to bestow upon us, to give us His mercy and His kindness and not what we deserve. It's God's favor, God's work. And so Stephen was a man upon whom God's gift of favor rested. God's measure of grace was in his life. Whom the most powerful one in all creation, the, the God of creation himself, had looked upon Stephen and given him a measure of God's favor. It wasn't earned by Stephen. Stephen didn't go to school to earn it, to, to get it. He didn't get it by good works. It was given to God or given by God to Stephen as grace, as a favor. And that grace resulted in power. This comes with God's presence. Our power is not our own. It is the power of God within us, given to us by His grace. By the way, God's power may not be revealed by every one of us in the exact same way. For Stephen, at this point in time, one of the ways that God's power and grace revealed itself was and miracles, wonders and signs among the people. For some of us, it may simply be praying for our enemies. It may be forgiving those who have hurt us. It may be sharing the gospel when we're terrified of stuttering in the face of that opportunity. God's power may, be, may look like any number of things in our lives this morning. It may be like Stephen would experience and like Jesus experienced before him, it might be, it may be the power to forgive and to be gracious and loving despite being called names, falsely accused. It may be being kind while others are spitting upon you, so to speak. That's a miracle. That's a work of God. But Stephen, full of grace and power and performing great wonders and signs among the people, was not just about doing miracles. We see there as he begins to get into this conflict with the synagogue of the freedmen, which we'll explore in just a few moments, that they were trying to argue with him. There seemed to be some sense of a, a public debate. 
the synagogue of the freedmen began to challenge Stephen in his understanding of Scripture and who Jesus Christ was. And they found themselves in this public debate. They found themselves unable to cope with Stephen. Every time they had an objection, every time they had a point, every time they had an argument, Stephen, under the power of the Spirit and the knowledge of the Word of God, circled them, defeated them. Again, the gospel is undefeated. His life was not just about doing miracles. It was about teaching and wisdom. It was about a life that was pointing to a sign post, if you will, directing others to a destination. And that destination was, in fact, Jesus Christ. See, miracles in and of themselves are great. We all would like to see them. We're amazed by them. How many wouldn't like to be of uh, one of the crowds where Jesus fed the 5,000, wouldn't that be cool to be able to be a part of that and say, I was there, I even got the t-shirt? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a cool t-shirt, wouldn't it? Have the front of the t-shirt with like just a, a few loaves and fish, and the back of the t-shirt is covered in loaves and fish. Ooh, that's a clever t-shirt. Don't, okay, I'm, I'm copyrighting that one, all right? <laughs> wouldn't it be wouldn't it have been incredible to see that? Wouldn't you have walked away from that going, wow? Now, that's what we would think. But all those people who were there that day, the 5,000 men and probably thousands of more women and children, the very next day, they tracked Jesus down. And what they want are not the truth of his words, not the salvation that comes from faith in him. They wanted simply one thing, more food. They didn't care about what the sign pointed to. They just liked the sign. In fact, you see this all throughout the New Testament, that every time almost Jesus did a miracle, it caused as much problems as it did anything else. People would reject where the miracle pointed towards. The, the miracles themselves are never the point. The signs and wonders that, Jesus, that Stephen does here in Acts chapter 6 are not the point. They are signs that lead towards something else, and that is Christ himself. Those signs and wonders are what God uses. Now, one of the things I'd like to point out that was going on in all this that really is the genesis of, of this particular conflict. If we were to go back to the, Acts, the first few verses of Acts chapter 6, that story of those, six, or those seven men who were set aside for the purpose of taking care of the widows and orphans in the early church. We talked about this a couple of months ago, but let me kind of refresh your memory. What was happening was that there was a division in the larger culture of Jerusalem based upon two groups, uh, the, uh, what's called the Hellenized Jews and what we might, for purposes of this morning, call the indigenous Jews, the Jews who were born and raised in Jerusalem or Israel proper. Hellenized Jews were ethnically Jewish, but they'd been raised elsewhere in the Roman Empire. Most of them did not speak Greek or Aramaic, or, or Hebrew or Aramaic, they spoke Greek. Well, most of the Jews just spoke Hebrew, Aramaic. So there was a, a cultural divide, there was a language divide, and even though these groups of, of different Jews shared the same ethnic background, they had different cultures and different practices based upon where in the world at that point in time they had been raised. And it was not uncommon for Hellenized Jews, Jewish people who had been raised elsewhere in the Roman Empire, to come back to Jerusalem on pilgrimage, to visit the temple, to see their homeland, so to speak. And many of them stayed. 
but they found that they were often rejected or at least looked down upon by the indigenous Jews. And so there were additional synagogues. And we see one of these talked about this morning in Acts chapter 6. It was called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. And so that division, which was in the larger Israelite culture of the day of Jesus, had found itself now in the church. And so this cultural division had gone from outside and had been brought inside the church. And now these two groups were squabbling inside. And that was what was going on at the beginning of Acts chapter 6. So the church set aside these seven men with the practical purpose of feeding folks, but really dealing with the division that was coming up within the church, that was being expressed through whether or not a widow was getting fed or not based upon which group she was in. And so Stephen was one of that group. And if you were to go back and read the names of those seven men who were set aside, you would find out that they all have Greek names. In other words, the church set up seven Hellenized Greek-speaking Jews to be, the pro to, be the solving, to be the problem solvers here. Stephen's one of these. So one of the things that was happening is this. Not only was Stephen full of grace and power, not only were you seeing signs and miracles, but the church itself, under the ministry of the apostles and under the ministry of men like Stephen, was defeating the, the disunity of the culture by demonstrating unity within the church. And so what was happening is this. What could have been a problem, what might have been a, a, a cultural a culture bringing its problems into the church and causing problems for the church and defeating the purpose of the church had turned into an opportunity and was now being used by God to demonstrate the power of the gospel and a people who might have otherwise been disunified are now in unity and the world around it was taking notice. The people who couldn't get along out there when they got into the church and became followers of Christ all of a sudden became unified. And Stephen was at the forefront of this. So what you're seeing is Stephen full of grace and power. Stephen full of wisdom and boldness and sharing the gospel. And Stephen being one of those that God used to bring unity to the church, to overcome the barriers of this world. And all those in Jerusalem are going, what in the world is that? The truth is, the church has the opportunity to share the greatest light in the midst of the greatest darkness. The days ahead of us as a church the days ahead of our culture may in fact be somewhat dark. I am not a prophet in that sense. I don't know the future and I will not predict the future outside of what the scripture says. He's coming back and he wins. I don't know the details. I do know this, that whatever lies before us in the coming days as a nation and as a church, as a world, it might be difficult. In fact, I think if we read Revelation and other portions, other portions of scripture, we can predict it will be. We are going to, as a church, encounter an increasingly darkening world. And that may be frightening for us. It may even cause us to panic. It may cause us to think to ourselves, well, churches can't still exist anymore. What it actually means is the exact opposite. That we have before us a greater opportunity than we've ever had to be light and salt in an increasingly dark world. In fact, if we as a people of God, not just at London First Baptist Church, but we as a people of God will in fact be who God's called us to be, we will stand out all the more in a world that's hating one another and fighting one another and suspecting one another, who hate one another. If we as a church can be the opposite of that, that will present the gospel. We have before us more opportunity that we can shake a stick at. That's what's going on in Stephen's life and in this ministry of the church in Acts chapter 6. 
Now, I mentioned this opposition here, the synagogue of the freedmen. It says, it even tells us where these guys are from. It says that they are from, they're, they're Cyrenians, they're Alexandrians, they're Cilicia and Asia. These are, by and large, men who are from the continents of Africa and Asia. Uh, these are most likely Hellenized Jews. It's even possible that this, the synagogue of the freedmen, and the freedmen were probably a group of Jews who uh, around 60 to 70 B.C., so well over 100 years, about 100 years before the events of Acts chapter 6, uh, when the Romans first came into uh, ancient Israel, they took a lot of Jewish captives, kind of like Babylon did in the days of Daniel. They came in, they took captives, and they, they took Israelites, and they took Jews, and kind of scattered them around the Roman world. Some of them were slaves, some of them were servants. Many of them, though, over the, coming, over the following years, did in fact get their freedom, and many of them came back. Part of the division here. So it's very possible, if not even likely, that the synagogue of the freedmen is essentially a synagogue formed by Hellenized Jewish people so that they would have a synagogue that they could speak Greek in and probably not to put up with the local Jews looking down their nose at them. And obviously Jerusalem is a big city. There had to be more than one synagogue anyway besides the temple itself. So this is probably what this is. So the synagogue of the freedmen is probably a synagogue of Jewish men whose grandparents or great-grandparents had been captive by Romans, uh, taken around the, the Greek-Roman war at that point in time, and had found their way back to Jerusalem, and they'd established their own community synagogue just for them while they could, they could speak Greek in and kind of do their worship in as they saw fit. I'm even kind of wondering if Stephen, since he seems to be having some conflict from the synagogue, might have been raised or have been a part of the synagogue before he came to faith in Christ. I'm kind of working on that assumption. I mean, how else, why else would they have come in conflict with him? Why else would they be talking with him if they didn't already know him? So my guess is, and this is a bit of speculation, my guess is that Stephen's, maybe his grandfather, great-grandfather, might have been one of those uh, Jews taken captive by the Romans 100 years before. Uh, sometime through the decades, his family, maybe even Stephen's generation, found their way back to Jerusalem. They are part of a synagogue that... Uh, uh, is under the Jewish council, under, under the Sanhedrin, but they worship on their own and have their own community synagogue as Hellenized Greek-speaking Jews. And that as Stephen has now come into the church and left the synagogue that he was a part of, and as they have seen him active in the process of healing this division, this cultural division that exists everywhere else, that these people this, in this church, they like each other, they get along with one another, even if they were Hellenized, or not Hellenized, whether they speak Greek or whether they speak Hebrew. They get along, they're unified there. As these people notice that, Stephen has opportunity now to engage them in conversation, and he shares with them the gospel, and they aren't too sure. They say, well, that's not what we were taught. <laughs> that's not the way we're used to it being. So maybe that is what's going on here. an opportunity. Stephen, full of grace and truth, power, wisdom, as they challenge the, the gospel and his teaching, he, he's able to, ex to show them, probably from what we call the Old Testament, every truth. And every barrier they put up, every hurdle they erect, Stephen works his way around, over, under, whatever. And 
he can simply, if nothing else, point to the church and say, see how they are a people who love one another no matter what language they speak. No matter what the world says they have to feel about one another, they are united. So Stephen, full of grace and power, full of wisdom and boldness, speaks the gospel and points people through that unity, points people through that grace, points people through that power to not himself, not even to the church, but instead as a signpost to Christ himself. One of the things that we find ourselves as Christians sometimes getting tripped over is this exact point. We want lives that demonstrate to people that God has power. We want to do that. But if we're not very careful, we will actually end up pointing people to ourselves or even to another individual. When what we as a church are, not, are, are to be doing are not pointing people to our great programs and to our nice building, not to our favorite Sunday school teacher or even your favorite preacher, but instead to Christ. For there is only one this morning who, no matter where you are at on the globe, has the power to give resurrection. And it's not a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon. It's not a friend or a mentor or a father or a mother. It is Christ and Christ alone. That's where the signs point to. These men losing the public debate, if you will, being embarrassed by the truth of Scripture and the truth evidenced in Stephen's life, decide to, in the face of a faithful witness, bring false witness. And what we'll see here in the end of chapter 6, in fact, we'll see this even more as we go through chapter 7 in the coming couple of weeks, is we will see a trial. We will see something that looks eerily familiar to those who have read the Gospel of Luke before this or the Gospel of Mark like we have. And that is they will see in the trial and ultimately the death of Stephen something that looks almost exactly like the events that took place around Jesus' life. In fact, the language, everything that takes place looks almost exactly like the trial of Christ. You'll see false witnesses and, temple, and false witnesses about temple destruction. You will see sayings about the Son of Man. You'll see charges of blasphemy. You'll see the council convene. You'll see all these things take place in the coming couple of weeks as we look at this. But this morning, as we, find, as we wind down this chapter, what we see is this. A man whose face had the appearance of that of an angel. Yes, the story of Stephen will end with his martyrdom. By the way, that word martyr, we associate with the word death, death for the cause, so to speak. But the word martyr is an ancient word as it's used in the New Testament that really has the meaning of simply witness. If you were called to be in a trial and you were called to give testimony to what you saw as part of a trial, you were called a martyr. You were simply a witness. Now, obviously, for many of us, especially as we read Scripture and know through church history, the idea of martyr became to be a witness to the point of death. Stephen will be a martyr. He will be a witness to the power, to the grace, to the unity, to the salvation, to the resurrection of life 
that comes through Christ, even if it means suffering and death, and therein is the power of one whose face is that of an angel. That phrase, having the face of an angel, might be one that a lot of guys like myself might go, eh, that's reserved for others who are, doesn't look like me. <laughs> but in reality, what would it be like if we as a people walked out these doors into our homes, into our job sites, into the people we, into Walmart? What if we walked into all the places that we, we will walk into over the next several days? What if we're pumping gas? And everywhere we go, we are those who have the appearance of the face of an angel. Not because we have some innocent childlike beauty, but because we are fearless, fierce, faithful. Those who have ultimate confidence in the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we will not be defeated. That's what it would be to have the face of an angel. 